Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash W-A-N-T-P-O-W-E-R. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 212. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Master Certified Life and Weight Loss Coach, Katrina Ubell, MD. This is the podcast where busy doctors like you come to learn how to lose weight for the last time by harnessing the power of your mind. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hey there, my friend. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is a really good one. I'm excited for you to hear about this. Even if you're not somebody who struggles with alcohol consumption, maybe you don't even drink at all, you definitely want to listen to this episode, okay? It's super, super good stuff. And if it's not something that's going to help you, it might be just exactly what someone you know or love needs. So make sure you listen to this. Okay, so let me tell you about Sherry Price. Sherry Price is my guest today. She is an overdrinking coach, but she is not somebody who is promoting that you necessarily stop drinking. Now, abstinence can be the answer for people, and that might be something that they decide to do, but it's not for everybody. It's not everybody's goal. And so I just want to let you know, we talk about this a little bit in the interview as well, but I want to let you know that this episode is not anti-AA, it is not (laughs) anti-rehab. If those are things that you love and support and have worked well for you or people that you know and love, that is amazing. We both, Sherry and I, think that's so great. We urge you to continue using it if that is something that is working great for you. The people that we're talking to and about today are people who won't go to rehab or don't want to go to rehab or don't feel like rehab is necessary for them. Or it just doesn't resonate with them as a acceptable solution. 
And same goes for Alcoholics Anonymous. They might be thinking that that's just there's no way they're ever going to attend a meeting, but they do want some help. So those are the people that we're talking about today, just to be totally clear. I'm not anti-AA. I am not anti-rehab. I think it's amazing for the people who really resonate with that work. So if you are someone who doesn't and wants some help possibly drinking less, or you have patients or people that you know or love who could use some of this help, you're definitely going to want to learn more about it. Because Sherry talks about how research on alcohol dependency has really evolved over the last several decades. And there really are some untapped ways to reduce your drinking that most people aren't talking about. And this is exactly what Sherry does. So she's a pharmacist, an actual doctor of pharmacy, totally super successful, worked in the hospital like the the whole nine and found herself really drinking just more than she wanted to. And really was that person who was like, yeah, I don't identify with rehab or AA or any of that stuff. Like, I don't think that's what I need. I've got to figure something else out. And that's exactly what she did for herself. And now she helps others do the same. So she's awesome. She'll tell you her whole story and her whole viewpoint on everything. And so I want to make sure that you listen. And if this is something that could help anybody in your life (laughs) that you that you know, or love or care about, then make sure they get this information. All right, my friend, enjoy my conversation with Sherry Price, and I'll check in with you again next week. Sherry, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for this opportunity, Katrina. I'm super excited to be with you. I know that everything we're going to talk about today is going to be so helpful to so many people, not only just anyone listening who feels like they could maybe put a little focus or attention on how much they're drinking alcohol, but also just understanding how coaching can be used as a tool to help any patients of our listeners with, or, you know, family members, friends, there's, I think just so many people, especially after 2020 who are like, wow, I've (laughs) maybe been, you know, day drinking a little more than I used to, or like, you know, things like that. And I think with it being kind of dry January right now, it's just such a perfect time for us to talk about this. So I would love it if you would just introduce yourself, give everybody a bit of a rundown review of who you are, your background, and what has brought you to this work. Yeah. So I'm a PharmD. So that means I have my doctorate in pharmacy and I love pharmacy, loved pharmacy. I practiced for 20 plus years and how I landed on this work was that I'd come home at the end of the day, take a drink, right? Take the edge off or to unwind and didn't ever have a drinking problem until one day I, f- I felt like I woke up and I'm like, wait a second, I'm doing this every day, I'm doing this a lot more than I want to. And I found that I didn't really resonate with AA or being an alcoholic. I just felt like I had this habit and it was growing. <laughs> and as I got honest with myself, I was like, well, how do I take care of this? And so that's when I stumbled into life coaching and we could talk more about that journey, but it was really wanting to take care of this in a very private way. For me, I was afraid, super afraid to put it out there. I was super afraid to look to physicians and I admire you and respect you and worked side by side with you, but I was afraid it would hit my medical record. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that if I got really honest and I said, Hey, I'm drinking a bottle of wine or sometimes more a night that it would hit my medical record. It would follow me. It would somehow damage my license as a pharmacist. Cause now I can't be trusted around opioids and whatever mm-hmm. else. 
I didn't really understand how to help myself. Everything I read was just avoid it. Just don't drink again, right? It was abstinence. Yeah. Yes. That, and, and that to me was not attractive at all. I remember telling my husband, I rather be an alcoholic (laughs) to abstain, which was, which was crazy to admit that to myself and to admit that to him because I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed the effects of it. I enjoyed the ritual of it. For me, it was making it to a certain lifestyle that I had put meaning around it. Like now I'm accomplished and this is what you get to do as a, an adult who's made it in the world and you get to experience fancy wines. And it was so much part of my identity, Katrina, that I couldn't imagine separating from it. I really mm-hmm. couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's when I started Googling because I felt if I you know, I'm active in my church, but if I went there, I'd be like, oh, people are going to know that side of me. And again, it was risk of my license, risk of my reputation, risk of putting that out there. And for people to judge that and see that I wasn't willing to do that. My shame was so deep and my reputation was so important to me that that's what kept me trapped for so long, thinking that nobody can help me. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I mean, I know I've worked with so many doctors who work in a small town, right? Like everybody kind of knows everybody and, you know, plenty of people don't live in that, you know, they can go across town a big city and, you know, maybe find some people to help them that they, you know, people wouldn't find out, but it's like, people love to talk (laughs) about stuff, right? Like people love to, you know, and then I also feel like, like then, then it's like the game of telephone, where what actually happened by the time it gets passed down, now you are, you know, we're like passing out drunk, got a DUI, you know, it's like turned into this big story. It's like, no, that's not what it was. I just wanted to drink less. Yeah. Yes. I can totally see that. So and then, then what I found, yeah. what I found interesting about AA is I would often think that's not really anonymous because you see me, you know me, you know my <laughs> right. first name. Like this is not really anonymous. And I, I yeah, just just all that shame and not putting it out there. And then I was also worried that my story wasn't that dramatic. I mean, it's just yeah. a habit. I didn't I didn't have a bottoming out. I didn't live on the streets. My life wasn't a mess. My life was beautiful and perfect, which mm-hmm. which made me feel even worse about myself. Like, why can't I figure this out? Right. I've, right. I have a great right. marriage, great family. I'm I'm living the life of my dreams. Yeah. And I'm going to go to this scenario where people are going to be like, why is she here? Right. Right. Exactly. And I know that you, you know, part of, and so first of all, let's just say we're not bagging on AA. If you love AA, if AA works for you, if that has been oh. a godsend for you or someone you love or no, like we're all in on AA. We're not saying you shouldn't go to AA. There's just certain parts of that program that not everybody resonates with. And so what they'll find is that they won't seek help, right? Like, like you were saying, right, you'd rather be an alcoholic than go to AA. So we're talking about those people, like we're talking about the people who will not set foot in AA. But let's also talk about how part of AA is deciding that or, 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 you know, believing that you're powerless to the substance that didn't resonate with you either. Not at all. And that's actually most of the other steps I'm fine with, right? I mm-hmm. I'm, I believe in a higher power. I don't have issues with that at all. I've sought out the higher power many, many years, many, many prayers, and it just wasn't changing for me. So my issue was I didn't want to be told 
I was powerless. I didn't feel that that was true. I felt that I have a human brain. I'm given free will by my creator and I get to choose if I pick up that glass or not. I get to choose what I put in my mouth, right? So just that whole concept of powerlessness didn't make sense to me. It didn't grab me intellectually. And I like to think that I'm a very intellectual being. And it also made me feel that I'd have to carry around this cross for the rest of my life, right? right? Like I'd have to carry a label. I'd have to carry a diagnosis. I'd have to carry this thing that I, I didn't want. I didn't want to be shepherded and watched and report reporting into somebody. I I would like Mm -hmm. the autonomy of, I could take care of this. I just need the tools. Right. So the powerlessness really didn't draw me in at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about other terms like, you know, so being sober or being in recovery, you know, there's people who are like, I'm in recovery, you know, 25 years later. And that's something that is very helpful for them. But yeah. for you, you were just like, no, yeah, it, it didn't intrigue me at all because I just wanted to say, this is a problem. It's like your oil light comes on with your car. You take it to the mechanic, they fix it and the oil light goes off or whatever the engine light. Mm-hmm. I felt that if I just had an understanding and some tools that that's what it would be like for me. I didn't want to identify it. I didn't want to carry it around with me forever. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say oh, there was a time in my life where I relied on alcohol. It felt like it was controlling me more than I was controlling it, but that's the past. Yeah. That, yeah. That's no longer me. Yeah. Right. And I'm not counting days. I'm not celebrating because recovery, alcohol-free sobriety, all of that to me, I don't know why it just felt heavy and it didn't feel attractive to my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then it's so much harder, right? When you're like, that sounds really not fun and really heavy and something (laughs) that I don't want to do. And then you're like, well, guess I got to make myself do that, right? Like what are the chances that's going to really, really help you? Because you'll probably be trying to rebel against it or rejecting it just from day one. So you teach about something called, you call gray area drinking, which I think is actually quite brilliant. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I find that, and the statistics show, if you look at the CDC's website, they say that 90% of people who over drink are not at the stage of severe alcohol use disorder yet. So 90% of over drinkers, right, I think are in this area that we don't really know what to call it. So somebody coined it gray area drinking. And I think this is huge because it's our way that we can serve as healthcare workers for prevention, right? And it's not waiting till you hit rock bottom or things are so unraveled in your life that that you need treatment, right? You need rehab, you need you know abstinence in that phase. But it's like a spectrum that this area that you feel like, well, you're doing it a little too much. You feel like you're doing it a little too much because you're getting this symptoms and the side effects and the consequences coming from it. But where are we talking about prevention? It's kind of like how I like to equate it to how a few years back, we decided to look at diabetes earlier. And now we're able to prevent diabetes by having this category calling pre-diabetic, right? Test the A1C, monitor patients, right? And so they are empowered to take action right? And, and do those mo- lifestyle modifications and all of that so that they don't develop diabetes. And we just don't have that, I don't think, prevalent in healthcare. And so I was like, there's, you know, we got to reach these people who are 90% on their way 
Mm-hmm. So if we can just learn preventative strategies and help them so that this doesn't become a bigger issue and that they could get the treatment or the support that they need. Yeah. So kind of thinking about it, like, you know, you're non-alcoholic, pre-alcoholic or alcoholic. And so the people that you're working with are the people who you'd call pre-alcoholic. Yes. If we were to make the assimilation to the pre-diabetes, yeah. diabetes yeah. thing. Like thinking yeah. about it, like it's a spectrum. Yes. Right? It's not like all or nothing. Like, am I an alcoholic or not? And I don't really know. And it's like, it doesn't necessarily have to matter, right? right. Like, if it's something that you think you do too much of and you'd like to stop, then right. that's something that, that you can work on. Yeah, I think that's great. And what I also think is good about it is that, you know, so many of the, you know, like what people, like just the addiction model is if you have an addiction to something, then the best thing to do is abstinence. And like you were saying, like, you know, there are plenty of people who are like, listen, I'm not going to stop drinking for the rest of my life. So, right. Or change my friends or empty my house of yes. it. Or, you know, we, we want to be in so certain social situations. And I rather have confidence and control over it than having to avoid it and empty right. my house and saying I can't hang out with these people anymore and changing my whole circle. I didn't feel mm-hmm. I was that there yet and that I needed Mm -hmm. to do that. I felt like if I just understood this a little bit more and had some tools that I could learn to drink less. Yeah. Do you think it was kind of like a conditioning type of a thing where your brain had been conditioned through various different inputs that like, it's the end of the day, this is what we do. We drink, you know, and, and would you say that essentially what you did was decondition yourself from that? Absolutely. Because I think I was, once you like something and I started to look for it everywhere, right? It was kind of like, oh, these friends are getting together on a Saturday afternoon to drink. That sounds fun. Let me, let me join. Oh, we're bringing our kids. Great. <laughs> so it was, it was a way to make playdates more fun. It was a way to mingle with people. It was a way to connect with people. I started giving it so much more meaning. You know, the mommy wine culture is huge, mm-hmm. right? And, huge. and the, the alcohol industry knows that that's why they're targeting us. And if you look at last year, COVID rates, you know, for drinking went through the roof, but mostly amongst females. We're, Mm -hmm. we're just accepting now that it's mommy's little helper. We're accepting now the memes out there, the t-shirts. I mean, I saw t-shirts in target and Nordstrom, like all spectrums, right. Mm -hmm. Celebrating wine it's wine day or it's rosé all day. And Mm-hmm. I think we're being culturally conditioned to think this is normal. Yeah. And for so long, I thought it was normal. And this is what high-end society does. And this is what we do on date nights. And it gave me like, my brain just kept seeing it everywhere. And it made me think I want to be part of that club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you like walk me through the process of, of undoing that? Well, first I have to say, the hardest thing I felt was being honest with yourself and just being like aware. So I was also experiencing a lot of stress at the time. My daughter received the diagnosis of Tourette syndrome and knowing what I know about Tourette and my brain just went to a dark space of, oh my gosh, I'm not the right mom for her. How, how am I going to manage this? I, I've not been around this type of disease in the past. I, I don't know what to do. So life circumstances felt made it feel even more of a relief at the end of the day. So I had to be honest. It's like, okay, 
Sherry, what benefit are you getting from this? Why, why do you keep doing this? Right. And I didn't want to know that for a long time because I didn't want to change. Mm-hmm. So right. I think for me, it was the most painful part or the most, this stepping stone to get started was like, I do want to change. Why do I keep telling myself I don't want to change? I don't want to feel this way the next day. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be at, I mean, I'm a control freak. I think a lot of people in healthcare are, right? That's why we go into it because we're like, we want to understand how the body works. We want to understand how to fix things, right? And solve things. And so just getting a little bit of courage to look at why am I doing this and just understanding what benefit I was getting from it mm-hmm. rather than, because what my brain would tell me is, oh, you just like the taste, Oh, Oh, you know, right. right? Like your brain's going to give you all the smoke screens. Like, oh, it's just what you do at five o'clock. And and that's excusing. I have told myself like, you're a nicer mom. (laughs) Alcohol has not actually been much of a thing for me. It really hasn't been, but there there has been like one period in time where I I was a very, very stressful time where I did start to notice like, oh, I am drinking more than I usually do. But but yeah. seriously, right? Like like just telling myself these stories about how it made everything better that I was like more yes. fun and a nicer mom and you know like not like nagging my kids so happier much. happier exactly. Right. It's like treat at the end of the day. I deserve this. Like all of that. I'm not saying we we don't deserve things, but it's just like is that the real reason I'm drinking? And I found right. for me once I pushed all of that aside, there was a lot more coming up. And that's what I felt I needed was to go there into those into those emotions, into those areas where I felt like inadequate or not enough or, you know, just breaking all that down through coaching has been so yeah. beneficial. It's and like it's loosened my grip. Yeah. Yes. Cause alcohol takes you away from the present moment. It takes you yes. further away from yourself because you just numb. So you don't know what you're feeling. You don't understand. Like I didn't know I had frustration so much underneath me. I thought, Oh, you know, I'm a healthcare practitioner. I'll figure this out. Just give me some more right. time. I'll figure this out. But I was relying on my intellect so much right. that I didn't realize how much I was blocking in the emotional component and how much you can learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's because numbing, numbing doesn't allow you to understand what's going on. Right. You're just glossing over it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, just like with anything that you're overing, you know, whether it's food, it's alcohol, it's spending, it's working, it's exercise, it's like whatever it might be, it's all an escape from what's Mm -hmm. really going on for you. And that's why, you know, for some people, right, creating a drink protocol may not really work because you don't even know why you want it in the first place and you don't have the tools to deal with what's coming up for you when you don't have the alcohol, right? So then it's just like, I don't even know why I said I'd have one glass and I ended up with four. Well, we know why, right? Like from a conceptual standpoint, what we then have to do is dig into what, no, what really is going on for you. And that takes some courage, I think, right? Like I I think that with weight loss too, it's just like, it takes some courage to just be like, you know what, I'm ready to do this. But I think there has to come a point where you really are like you said, ready to make a change, ready to stop dinking around and like figure this out because you staying with the life that you have is not acceptable anymore. So you are willing to move forward into something else that might be more uncomfortable for a little while with the idea that once you go through that, it'll be so much better on the other end. Right. And I find that if sometimes you're not willing to change until there's enough pain, 
It's actually in our pain and we're sick of the current pain that we are willing to now accept a new pain, knowing that there is the other side, at least on that pain. Because if I stay in this pain, there's no relief unless I keep doing what I keep doing. But you know, the self-loathing that comes from that and just feeling Mm -hmm. out of control and just not in charge of the greatness that life brings, right? Is kind of dampens your spirits over time. You get into this low level depression that I feel, and then the alcohol is a depressant on top of that, right? So, so you kind of get in this space and I work with a lot of women who are like, I just don't care about things anymore. Like I used to, and I lost my motivation and I lost my joy. And of course that makes sense if we're buffering all the time and numbing out, right? We, we are buffering the good feelings too, right? You just Mm -hmm. kind of can't feel and you don't know what feelings are like. It's like a total neutralization of everything. Yes. Right. We, we, what we're hoping for is that it'll neutralize the negative and amplify the positive. Right. But that's not what happens. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not how it goes. That's not it actually goes. like neutralizes the happy and amplifies the negative. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which is exactly. the exact opposite of what we're hoping for. I mean, the, maybe the yes. first glass, right? You get the dopamine right. hit or that first bite of a donut or whatever, right? You get yeah. that. You get that, those neurohormones that are going that make it feel nice, but then it's the law of diminishing returns and it's awful. Yes. Yes. So I know you are very well-versed in the research and what research shows in terms of different, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to help people who drink more than they want to. And so we don't need to go into like all of them, but I would love it if you could share how research does support coaching as a legitimate modality for reducing drinking. Yes. And so where I look to is the National Institutes on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. And in their options for treatment on their website, they talk about how people just think of rehab and 28-day rehabs or outpatient or inpatient and abstinence as that what most people think of for treatment options, but they say there's a variety of treatment modalities out there that are currently available thanks to the advances in the field over the past 60 years. And they even go on to say that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Some people will resonate with one approach, others will resonate with another approach. And then they talk about all the different treatment modalities from behavioral treatments to medications. And I think that's where life coaching really can help is because we want to get why the behavior exists in the first place, right? Really understand that behavior, not from a judgmental standpoint, but just like if you're doing it, there's definitely a benefit your brain is getting from that. And let's just look at that and let's see if we can change that pattern, interrupt that pattern and lessen this behavior, not to say that everybody has to be in abstinence or avoidance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you think of coaching as, I mean, it can stand alone as what somebody needs, or it really can be used in conjunction with some other options, right? I do. Yeah, I do. I've, I've worked with women who have been in rehab and have relapsed and then tried coaching And this seems to be their magic bullet, right? This seems Mm -hmm. to be that missing link that they didn't get in rehab. And then people want, maybe want to use it alongside of, okay, I want to abstain, but 
in AA or whatever other models that they're trying, they don't teach me about my feelings. They don't teach me about how I create my own deprivation. They don't, they don't go to the next level of it. Right. It's all about just like, we'll support you through abstaining Mm -hmm. from alcohol. And so, but to take it to a deeper level, I think helps us move on quicker without any guilt or FOMO or any of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think one thing that makes you know, alcohol, just a more challenging, you know, over drinking a little bit. I don't know. I'm not going to say more challenging because people are gonna be like, it's more challenging, but like, it's a different (laughs) challenge than with weight loss is because, you know, overeating is socially acceptable, right? Like you can totally go and eat and, you know, we still might be like, oh, people are watching and we're like hiding, eating the food or whatever, but like, it's different than becoming the person, you know, you might overeat and then feel really full, but you're not like stumbling throwing up, you know, saying ridiculous things, slurring your speech, you know, like it's not going to make it so that you're not able to operate heavy machinery. You know, it's like, it's a different kind of thing and just culture looks at it differently. So I think there's, I mean, I think they're, you know, we're all experts at creating shame for all kinds of things, but I think there's this kind of extra different level of, of shame and of hiding. There have been events or things that I've gone to where I have thought to myself, like I I feel so bad for anybody who might, you know, identify as an alcoholic or really be trying to abstain in this situation because it's just like so expected that you drink. Now, I know people who don't drink. They just, you know, like for, you know, religious reasons or actually someone that I worked with for many years, he just, just never developed a taste for it. Just like wasn't his thing. And he just didn't do it. And I think that you can become that kind of person, right. Who's just like, you know, there's like people who don't like sweet stuff. They don't like sugar. You know, it's like, you can become someone like that, but do the people who struggle with alcohol get the guidance and the help, like the, really the tools on how to deal with that like on a really deep level so that they go into any party or any event, like any wedding, whatever, like I'm totally good, totally solid on this. Like I've got my back. I just think it's, it's different. And I think that having the coaching help is just brilliant for that. So good. And I would want to just highlight two things that you said there that are key. The first is I think the what makes this different than overeating is in my mind, I could be wrong, but in my mind, when you overeat, it starts showing up on your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When people can see it eventually. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's no hidden secret. Let's just Mm -hmm. say, but trust me, Katrina, if you were to talk to me after a bottle of wine, you would have no idea. I mean, Mm -hmm. my tolerance was so high. I didn't Mm -hmm. slur my, my gait wasn't disturbed. You wouldn't know. So I think you can be an over drinker and still appear normal. People wouldn't know. It's such Mm -hmm. a thing you can hide easier than overeating. And then the second thing is I think our society is very polar on alcohol. You, we glamorize it, right? Let's get together. It's Super Bowl Sunday. It's, you know, the new year. Let's cheers with champagne. Like we glamorize it. And, you know, there's wine tours and wineries and we're swirling it. There's just beautiful Mm -hmm. ritual around it. So we, and it's, you know, how, how you sell things, right? I mean, cruises, there's always the older couple on the back of the boat with their wine glass or something, right? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's glamorized and then yet it's stigmatized. So, oh, it's great to do it as long as you're in control and you do it responsibly as the commercials tell us. But then when it, 
you can't, then it's like, oh, sorry, you're one of those. Yeah, and I was now say you're one of those people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, that's right. really sad for you. So, yeah. so, so me, there's like no happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many parallels to overeating though. It's like the bikini model who's like eating, mm. you know, like all of this food, you know, it's just kind of like this whole idea of like, you should be able to eat all the things and be totally rail thin at the same time. It's like, interesting. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I do think that with alcohol though, there is, I, I mean, you know, we don't need to get into like a shame competition. That's for sure. But I do think that there's that a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about how they shouldn't be you know, drinking as much as they, they do, you know, a big argument with food is like, well, you have to eat. Now you don't have to eat all different kinds of food, but you do have to eat with alcohol. You don't have to drink. And then some people will be like, oh, I wish, I wish alcohol was my problem because then I could just, you know, abstain forever. But then all the people who have trouble with alcohol are like, I don't know that it's actually so great. (laughs) It's just a challenge regardless. Yes. Yes. So Sherry, tell us more about how you work with women who are looking to either, you know, reduce their drinking or stop drinking, get support around their drinking. Yeah. So I work with women who want to cut back and I have a podcast called Drink Less Lifestyle. You can join me over there. And also on my website, there's a ton of free resources. You can recommend to your patients or just have them kind of just consider cutting back. Because I think for a lot of us going from where we're at and I was like at 42 to 47 drinks a week, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, bottle, bottle and a half a night, plus a little bit more on weekends to zero seemed like I couldn't do it. I would be a failure. It's just too hard. So just having that discussion saying, Hey, just cutting back, maybe you can just learn to be one of those who cuts back and you don't, you change your desire around it, all of the ways that you talk about with your clients and so they can find those tools on my website at sherryprice.com. Okay, perfect. And it's S H E R R Y. Correct. P R I C E. Just okay. like the red wine. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I'm like, the irony of your name, right? <laughs> no, it gets better, Katrina. Can I tell you, my dad was a bartender. He was in bartending school when my was born. So I was either oh, going to be really? Brandy or Sherry. <laughs> Right on. That's great. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Awesome. And so you work with women in groups, which I do. We were talking before we started recording how groups are the best and groups are really how you learn so much about yourself and do so much work yourself, but also learn in a really safe space in a very confidential space with other women going through the same thing. And so, so if anyone's interested in that, can they uh, get that information about working with you on your website? Yes, it's under the work with me page. Okay. Yeah. And I love this the group format. I used to do one-on-one, but when I switched to groups, I found that the shame just dropped a lot quicker. Yeah. Cuz we feel we're the only ones. We feel, you know, how can like nobody thinks of it as a problem if I tell my friends, my family cuz I'm still, you know, going to work every day, I'm still raising my kids, but just to be around other like-minded women who are working and doing all the things and seeing that, oh, they're drinking a little too much too, just really helps us drop the shame quicker. Yes. 
I a hundred percent agree. You start to realize like you're not as broken as you think you are. You're not like the this extra special person who really, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I'm really the one who has the problem. You start to realize like, oh no, we all are doing the same thing. And I love what you said about, you know, this is like for people who are very functional, right? We're not talking about people who are, you know, waking up, you know, the proverbial like in the gutter, you know, kind of a thing. Like you're you're going to work, you're totally successful. You're doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing and want to be doing, except you think you might be drinking too much. Yeah. And actually a lot of my women are, they would say, they would say, I'm killing it in all areas of my life. I eat organic. I eat, you know, I'm doing all these things. It's just this one area. I don't know why I can't get control over Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. 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 So, and it yeah, doesn't so have anybody to be listening the resonates with that. Yeah. It, right. It doesn't, even, yeah. Right. It's not like, I mean, there are the guidelines of what people should drink and not drink, but that's not even relevant. Right. If, if even if what you drink falls within the guidelines and it's too much for you. Exactly. You know, only you know that in terms exactly. of how you feel. And, and even, you know, your intuition just kind of telling you, like, this isn't the right thing. Like, you're not in alignment with yourself, whatever, however much that may be. And then just figuring out what that is. Yeah. I love exactly. that. Yeah, this is so great. So yeah, so anybody listening who struggles themselves should check out check you out. And anybody who takes care of patients who struggle with their drinking but are not identifying with the you know addiction kind of models, you know, they should definitely be referring on to you. That'd be great. I'd love to help them. Wonderful. Sherry, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. This has been fun, Katrina. Thank you. Ready to start making progress on your weight loss goals? For lots of free help, go to katrinaubellmd.com and click on free resources.